0: Good evening, everyone, and thank you for listening to the Futurati Podcast, where we dive into how emerging technologies will impact the world and your bank account. I'm Trent Fowler, and joining me, as always, is my co-host, Thomas Fry. Thomas and I are futurists, keynote speakers, and consultants with decades of experience in analyzing trends and communicating new developments to audiences across the world. Reach out to us at futuratipodcast.com slash contact-futurati if you'd like to hire us for consulting, to speak at your event, or to advertise on our podcast. So, Thomas, we just wrapped up a fascinating interview with uh, Robert Hindershot, who is a finance professor and investor who is promulgating this philosophy he calls ingenuism. So, was there anything particularly
1: surprising that leapt out to you about this? No, he he talks about how ingenuity is one of the uh, primary things that separate humans from the other species on planet Earth here. And... Um, and that's where most of the value gets created in our ingenuity. Uh, him being part of Silicon Valley, um, that's uh, that's the one thing that stood out in his mind as the real differentiator uh, as to what really creates the, the kind of this trillion-dollar value that's been a lot of the startup companies that are being created today. That I found that to be absolutely fascinating.
0: Yeah, I, re- I really like uh, the fact that the label for his philosophy and genuism, he he admits that it's not referring to anything particularly new, but it reorients our focus towards particular aspects of the way humans think and the way we come up with new ideas. That is very illuminating. So when he sent over the materials uh, for us to prepare, he uh, he noted that. Two of the core tenets of ingenuism are respect and trust. And I actually didn't get a chance to ask him about this in the interview. I made a note to ask him about it, but I didn't get around to it. Having talked to him now, it makes a lot more sense to me why those two in particular would be so important, as as opposed to something like intelligence or honesty. And it's because what he's focusing on is human connection. So his path into studying uh, ingenuism and arriving at this idea began when he noticed in 2018 that the speed with which companies are able to go from half a billion to a billion to ten billion to a hundred billion to a trillion, had really uh, become like they they were getting to that level far more quickly than they had in the past. And part of the reason for that is because humanity is so much more interconnected than it has been at any other point in history. There's now so much more information, we're now talking to each other between the internet and telecommunications, there's all these channels for ideas to travel, for information to travel, and that allows companies like Google or Apple or Facebook or, or what have you, OpenAI now, to leverage all that information, all those interconnections in, in a way that produces a tremendous amount of value. So that was very illuminating. Uh, it, it reminded me a little bit of uh, Matt Ridley's idea or his concept of ideas having sex, if you've ever heard of that, that phrase. Uh, that didn't come up either, but I was thinking about that as he was talking.
1: Yeah, um, even though he's been in academia all his life, he uh, he's, he's not a fan, so... Uh, uh he he says that one of the downsides of Academia is that if you if you fail in a course you're a total failure you're you're a loser um and we need to actually teach people how to um, fail more respectfully um in the business world people are going to fail a lot so they need to get used to it so that's Well, in the scientific
0: world too, the philosophical world, like anytime you're treading new ground, you should expect to stumble more often than not, Uh, especially if you don't have a map and you don't have a guide and you have no idea where you're going, you're just feeling around in the
1: dark, you know, scraping your knees is probably the rule, not the exception. And We we need to learn how to take risks and -hmm. and, uh, being branded a loser is not an easy way to take a risk. (laughs) No, that that makes the opportunity cost pretty major. So
0: I, I loved it. I've uh, I've been a fan of Roberts for some time. I listened to his ingenuous podcast. I think you should too. And uh, this interview just couldn't have been more fun. So without further ado, here's episode 140 with Robert Hendershot. Tonight we're joined by Robert Hendershot. Robert is a finance professor, hedge fund CIO, and evangelist for a philosophy he calls ingenuism. Ingenuism comes from the thesis that human progress stems at its core from ingenuity, the unique human amalgamation of curiosity and ambition. Nurturing ingenuity is the most important thing that a culture can do. There is no ceiling on what a society that promotes connection, exploration, discovery, and learning can accomplish. If you enjoy this interview, please subscribe to the podcast and share it with your friends. And don't forget to check out our website, futurotipodcast.com. Robert, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Trent. Let's hear a little bit about your background, your interest, and what brought you working on the problems that you're working on today.
2: Well, I am originally an academic. I got my PhD in finance 30 years ago, and I've been a professor at Santa Clara University in the business school. Uh, so I landed in Silicon Valley and got interested in why Silicon Valley works the way it does and how it's been so effective at creating New technologies and uh, new companies. Uh, I also did some research on banks and that somehow turned into an investment strategy. And over time, I became more of an asset manager than an academic. So, right now, I am on my way out as a finance professor. Uh, I still teach a couple of courses. I'm doing an online course right now. But mostly what I do is I run a hedge fund and I work on a newer project, which is really based on that work that I did as a professor, how magical things can happen through new technologies, through people applying their ingenuity, working together to make the world a better place.
1: So now that you're on your way out, you can actually say things that you really (laughs) think Um, So based on this past year with with the banks and uh, kind of the tumultuous uh, last few months, how, how, do you, how are you projecting the future for the financial institutions in this country?
2: Well, the financial institutions in this country have been evolving very, very slowly, while the services that they provide have been evolving pretty quickly. Uh, it got accelerated in the pandemic, but even before that, the way people were doing their banking had fundamentally been shifting. Uh, and so, we have a banking sector that looks a lot like it did 100 years ago, uh, and we have way too many banks, and we have way, way too many bank branches. So, what needs to happen is for us to have fewer banks and a lot fewer bank branches and a lot better banking technology, technology that makes it even easier than it is today to accomplish your banking goals without ever having to you know, go beyond your computer or your smartphone. Uh, but that has all gotten a little bit uh, derailed by the Silicon Valley Bank failure uh, and I'd be happy to talk about that but the gist of it is uh, right now the regional banking sector is in a it's it's basically going through a sea change where a bank like Silicon Valley Bank which had a set of very attractive depositors that would leave lots of money at the bank and didn't care very much about the interest rate they were getting, Uh, no longer looks like it's viable because it's so easy. It's a few clicks of a mouse to take that money out. So, what I see is uh, the change in banking accelerating, but that doesn't mean it's going as fast as it should be going. What, uh, What ideally we would have is a world where We got rid of 90% of the physical bank branches. Uh, That real estate got redeployed into something more productive. Uh, People were able to accomplish all of their banking without ever having to go on a branch, and they existed only for our grandparents. But uh, that that won't happen for another couple of decades.
0: Okay. What do you think has driven the sclerotic quality of the American banking sector? I mean, do you buy the basic libertarian case that a lot of it is regulation and regulatory capture? Or do you think there's something unique about finance that, that makes it prone to this? How do you think about that?
2: Well, there's definitely something unique to banking, uh, at least the way it's developed historically. Uh, you know, this could all change. You know, we're finally in a world where you don't need those intermediaries to take people's deposits, to give them access to their money to to keep their money very safe but at the same time be using the, those savings to invest in the future productivity of businesses in the country i mean for most of history banks played a key role in matching people who are saving money to people who wanted to borrow money this sort of the other extreme of venture capitalists where you would never put the money you were saving for a down payment on a mortgage or something into a venture fund because one, you couldn't get to it when you wanted it, and two, it might all go away. Uh, you put it into a bank, but then that creates all sorts of unique problems because it's very hard to take money where the depositors want it to be very safe and readily available and invest it in future projects. Uh, but that's what at the core banking is supposed to do. Uh, bankers existed because they knew the depositors better. they had relationships with depositors and they knew the borrowers better. Today, most lending can be done as effectively or more effectively using statistical models and depositors no longer value having a relationship beyond the, the convenience of having everything tied to your bank account. I mean it's a it's unique in the sense that it's very easy to switch your bank, it literally is just a few clicks of the mouse, at least in theory. But it's also something that people do very rarely because it's a hassle. I mean, you think about your business bank account, it's set up for payroll, it's set up to automatically pay some of your expenses, your rent, your credit card, your personal bank account, it's paying your mortgage, it's paying your utility bills, It's paying... and all of that is set up on autopilot so that if you switch, it's actually a huge hassle. So, it turns out that almost nobody switches their bank unless there's a big enough incentive and then like in Silicon Valley Bank where there were legitimate fears about the bank's solvency and continued existence. And then once the reasons get large enough, go past the threshold where it's worth the hassle, then everybody leaves. And that is what's unique to banking is there's always been two equilibria. There's the case where everyone's satisfied with how the bank's doing has confidence in the bank the bank is profitable the bank is solvent it continues just like that and then if doubts arise you know particularly when they're real Silicon Valley Bank was insolvent on an economic basis uh, then you immediately switch and we saw it literally happen over the course of 48 hours from a bank that is you know considered one of the best banks in the country to God.
0: Hello, this is Trent Fowler, co-host of the Futurati Podcast. One of the most common pieces of marketing advice I've come across is to know your audience and give them what they want. One difficulty in podcasting is that it's actually pretty hard to do this. None of the major platforms give us any way to reach out to you, our listeners, to find out what you enjoy about the Futurati Podcast and what you'd like to see done differently. So we've decided to record this commercial and ask you directly to reach out to us. Head over to futuratipodcast.com go to the contact page and drop us a line. Tell us about your favorite and least favorite episodes, what you'd like to see us cover in the future, and anything else you want us to know. We produce this show for you, and we want your advice so we can make it even better. Thank you.
2: And that is unique to to the way banking is set up. Now,
0: you, you said the word intermediary, so we're contractually obligated to ask you about your position on blockchain technologies. Uh, that's if we had balloons and confetti, it would come down as soon as you say that. That's the word of the day. So, I mean, you know, you're a finance guy, professor, you're an investor now. How do you, how do you think about just the panoply of different blockchain projects that are out there? Do you have one you like? Do you think it's mostly bullshit? Uh, a couple promising uh,
2: gems in there. Like, just lay that for us. Uh, so, I guarantee it's mostly bullshit. Uh, but that's <laughs> not a problem because that's how these things always start. I mean, if you look at Silicon Valley startups, most of them are bullshit. Uh, It's just very hard to tell which ones are bullshit early on. So, I don't have one that you can, I don't think there's anything right now you can look at and say, oh, this is what it's, this is how it's going to go. This is what's going to replace the existing financial system. And the potential is clearly there, but it's something that will have to be discovered over time. And it's very challenging because, uh, first of all, you have very entrenched incumbents that include governments who have, FBI agents that they can send uh, to arrest you, uh, and that has happened in, uh, I, I believe it was New Hampshire. There's a block uh, Bitcoin project that got shut down uh, under the guise of, and it and it's not totally illegitimate because a lot of the use for crypto is nefarious purposes. It's for money laundering or for buying things that have been deemed illegal. Uh, so. When you're in that position where the incumbent has is very well entrenched, um, both from a, a market standpoint, you know the dollar is incredibly convenient to use. Uh, even you know taking an account, Silicon Valley Bank and First Republic Bank, it is still incredibly convenient to have a bank account. And the the, the cryptocurrency of anything on the blockchain right now is not, and it has to do with network effects. It has to do with the 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 fact that trust is something that we're we're sort of uh I won't say evolutionarily, but certainly societally, we've been bred to believe it is necessary. So it's hard for people to really to wrap their brain around having a project that really does eliminate the need for a trusted intermediary. And then of course we have all of these, you know, what what were trusted intermediaries that have blown up and and lost people's money, and and that just reinforces the idea that blockchain can't replace the financial system, but it definitely could. This is something that that we think is really exciting. Uh, the hurdles are high, and the first iterations of the technology is probably not going to be it. You know, I don't think Bitcoin is going to be a global currency, uh, but something along those lines, something that eliminates the frictions of intermediaries not just you know serves allows us to get out of the existing system but actually improves on the existing system that would be super exciting And it's you're seeing a little bit of it in China uh, where you have these very large networks that have been built and then it just becomes convenient for people to start using them to transact. And while that still tends to happen and in China it'll probably forever happen with the the central currency, there's no reason that you have to use a central currency. I mean, there's no reason that Apple Pay needs to use dollars when Apple is has, you know, a, a far better reputation than the US government and has a user base that, you know, spans the globe and is, is the perfect set of customers that could go outside of the dollar. Now, you know, Apple's got too much to lose if the FBI and comes into their headquarters. So I don't think Apple's going to do it, but somebody could do it.
1: So when you, when you have um, some countries like, let's say Argentina, um, who does not typically, is not known for having a very stable currency. Nope. And, um, and then the, having people that want to use Bitcoin and some alternative uh, cryptocurrencies there uh, because they view that as being more stable than their national currency. And I think that could be true in a lot of countries around the world. Um, how, do, how do you uh, kind of think through the equilibrium that goes on in the minds of those uh, the citizens of those countries?
2: Well, you're competing with the exact same thing, the U.S. dollar it's just in those countries the dollar comes in you know 20 and 100 dollar bills it's it's very inconvenient and it's very insecure you don't have the ability to keep your i'll call it a hard currency even though you know you could argue exactly what a hard currency is uh, but you don't have the ability to keep that inside of the financial system so it all ends up being in the underground economy and it's still better to hold you know dollars than to hold the local currency but having a cryptocurrency that's widely accepted that would be far better and that is i in my opinion the place where it's most likely to gain traction the challenge is that those are the places that are the least integrated with the rest of the world's financial system and so it doesn't naturally pull or the kind of critical mass that would be required for you to to have some crypto that you could then take on your European vacation and use, or you could be using to buy groceries down the street.
1: Okay.
0: All right, so let's spend some time talking about ingenuism. This is the idea through which I found you. It's what your podcast is called. It's what your substack is called. Tell us a little bit about this idea, ingenuism.
2: Well, ingenuism is, it's not a new idea. Uh, it's the idea that human ingenuity is a source of basically all good things that that are in society and that the more opportunity that you have to both lever people's ingenuity for them to use it for their own purposes but then to also connect and collaborate the bigger the impact is of people's ideas and so, when we first, when I first started thinking about this, uh, it was in the context of Silicon Valley because I had been teaching for a long time, and I, I sort of had my shtick about here's what Silicon Valley does, here's why it works, uh, and you know here's what you want to learn from this. And then in about 2018, we started to see just these massive increases in the value of some of the leading technology companies. And it was happening on a much bigger scale. This has always been the case that, you know, you have a new technology that comes in. You have Google that comes in and completely transforms the way people interact with finding, with searching the internet, with finding things on the internet. And we go from, you know, if if you're old enough to remember uh, AltaVista or the early search engines, they were basically useless, but they were better than nothing. And then Google comes along, and it, it's orders of magnitude better. And within five years, Google is a billion-dollar company. Well, in 2018, we were starting to see companies that within five months would become a billion-dollar company. And then Google was a billion-dollar company. And then three years later, it was a 25 billion-dollar company. And then three years after that, it was a hundred billion-dollar company. I mean, the the growth in and then of course by 2018 it was a trillion dollar company so the growth in the value that was being captured by these companies was just astonishing and at the same time uh there was more and more obvious that the value that was being created by the companies was you know 10 20 50 times what was being captured i mean google's a great example if you think about google most of what google what we use uh, from google is free and so, the fact that Google can be worth $2 trillion and we're not even paying for what Google provides, it just blew my mind. And I was trying to think, well, why is this happening now? You know, what is it that is true in 2018 that wasn't true in 2008 or 2012 or, you know, 2008 was a weird year. So, it's maybe not the best example. <laughs> but the idea was there had to be something going on. Uh, and... When we started playing around with the idea that connection was a key part of how much you could lever people's ideas, and this has always been true, uh, where you know whether it was connection by you know letters that would take months to to cross the the globe, or by uh, steamships that would take weeks to cross the ocean, or by airplanes that would take uh, hours to cross the ocean, there was always a huge benefit to connection because once. an idea or an insight existed, it could spread. And once uh, something was shown to work, it could be levered and repurposed in all sorts of different areas and different projects. Uh, But the advent of the internet, and and in particular um, with effective search, uh, we came to the conclusion that that was the difference, that now you could take what people were doing Every, you know, 8 billion people now, what people were doing and aggregated in a way that was greatly accelerating progress. And by progress, uh, you know, I don't just mean we, we often talk about how valuable, say, Apple is as, as a, an indicator of progress, but I don't just mean financial progress. I mean the world being a better place for, for humanity and people being able to do bigger and better things. And this was really exciting. Uh, to, to actually come to this conclusion. And we played around with it as an economic model, and it, it definitely works as an economic model. But more importantly, we started to see it everywhere we looked. Uh, and that's what I've always thought are my best ideas, where I can see them. Whether I'm looking at what's happening with the leading tech companies, whether I'm looking at what the difference is between North and South Korea, when I'm looking at you know why East Germany was like North Korea, and now it's more like West Germany. Uh, all of it, it was just everywhere. And ever since this is what I'm most interested in.
1: So when you when you look at the, um, the exploding world of AI around us, uh is uh how, how do you think that plays into uh the human ingenuity part of it? Is is that gonna be possible for AI to replicate that and
2: uh or Amplify it in some way I like the word amplify uh, you know right now I think AI would be better a, a term for augmented intelligence than artificial intelligence uh, because it, it's in conjunction with a human being uh, from an ingenuism perspective uh, the chat uh, GPT type of models the the chatbots are incredibly interesting because they took what we thought was great search something like Google and they turned it into something else that is even more valuable so you know my from an injesiusm perspective i would say that the early stages of ai are increasing connection dramatically so you can be connected to a a, a uh, way of coding a particular project and incorporate it very quickly and easily into what you're trying to do. So somebody else's ideas, somebody else's insights being brought in to be applied to what you're working on, that's the essence of, of connection. You know connection isn't just the internet. I mean I don't I can't say a lot about uh, social media because I try and stay off of it because I find it to be to be the unuseful form of connection not the human part that's super useful but the it's very easy to get distracted in what is essentially entertainment while missing the opportunity to actually see insights to see valuable ideas that are out there that apply to what you're trying to accomplish ai is not like that you know it's not going to it's not going to at least not yet it's not going to be feeding you you know entertainment when you're really looking for information and insights Uh, so in the short term i think this is enormously powerful uh if we judge by what's happened with the internet we should all be extremely optimistic about what's going to happen in technology uh and basically in in people's lives the ability for people to accomplish what they want to accomplish and enjoy their lives uh over the next 10 to 15 years uh if we get true artificial intelligence where ingenuity, there is artificial ingenuity, that would be a completely different ball game and it would be wildly exciting except for the fact, you know, a lot of people are talking about that leading to the end of humanity, which is not very exciting. Uh, (laughs) But the more ingenuity, the better. And (laughs) as long as being applied to productive uses, um, that would be great for everyone.
1: So I I always think about human experiences like Sometimes I have a toothache, or if I go out running, my legs get sore. Um, I, I get sweaty. I have uh, all of these physical things that happen to a, to a human being. And then the relationships that we have, I care about this person, I don't care so much about that person. That's The values that we're placing on things around us, Those those seem to be things that Artificial intelligence will have great difficulty replicating, um, and uh, that, that becomes, in my mind, some of the big differentiators between um, human creativity and AI creativity, uh, things on that level. So that would, that would also get into the realm of ingenuity as well. Um, do you have any comments on that?
2: Uh, well, I hadn't thought about that angle very much, but I do think that there are right now fundamental differences between how our minds work when we're really being creative and how large language models work all the time. Uh I, th- I think that would, if if I if I look at what I have my experience with interacting with AI models. Uh, and that's purely as a consumer. Uh, they are very much like me when I'm driving, where I know where I'm going. Um, I get there, but I don't necessarily know exactly how I got there, and I couldn't have gotten anywhere else. So when I was well, just as an example, uh, I was my my daughter is into jokes, and so I would. Got on. I got in a bar at this particular time and I asked for jokes that were appropriate for a child. I said, you know, family-friendly jokes, and it gave me a list of five jokes. Uh, And then I just got curious, and actually a couple of them were good. Uh, The one that she liked best was, uh, what did the wave, no, what did the ocean, oh, I blew it, never mind. Oh, no. (laughs) What did the ocean say to the beach? And it just didn't. It just waved. Uh, But I I got curious. And so, I asked, okay, give me uh, five adult jokes. And Bard declined to do that. Uh, And so, I asked for five jokes that were not appropriate for children. Uh, And Bard gave me five. And two of them were the same jokes that were on the list that were appropriate for children. <laughs> and and that's what i that's my experience is that there's no there's no deeper understanding of what's really going on and, and thomas that's takes that to a large extent how i would extrapolate to what you were talking about is is everything you were talking about was that deeper experience that i believe and i have no evidence for this i just assert it that is integrally linked to our ingenuity and our creativity and you know what it really means to be human
0: are you enjoying this episode of the Futurati podcast if so please like it give the show a five-star rating on apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you get your podcasts and share it with your friends by far the best way to help us grow is to spread the word on social media which will expose our content to more people and help us continue to bring you interviews with world-leading experts in ai quantum computing cryptocurrencies and so much more Thank you in advance. What are some of the uh, technologies today that excite you most from an ingenuous perspective? We, we've touched on blockchain, AI. Are there any others? What else are you looking into that, that, that excites you?
2: Uh, so anything that it, the basics of ingenuism are that what really matter are connection and your ability to explore, discover, and learn. Uh, and so there, there's a bunch of things that excite me, although none of them are ready for prime time. We've already talked about uh, blockchain technologies and AI or you know, chatbot versions of AI. Uh, that is really exciting. Uh, and I think that in areas where it's less about creativity and more about uh, pattern recognition that these models are going to be extremely valuable. I mean, you hear about protein folding, I think definitely we're going to see significant advances in medical diagnostics where we, we're trying to figure out what's wrong with people, not based on the population, but by, based on a very narrow subset of the population, but an $8 billion population, it's still a large group that mostly resembles what this person is, is currently experiencing, who they are and, and what they're experiencing. Uh, so, anything that involves pattern recognition, I think, is, is going to be very exciting. But in terms of really making a difference for the long-term trajectory of humanity, uh, there are a couple things that that have to happen from an ingenuism perspective. Uh, one is that people need to. What's the right way to put this? They need to uh, undo the damage that's been done by our traditional schooling approach and even better replace that approach with something that fosters ingenuity in kids from the the moment they they start actually going to school and I have I've been in the education business for a long time uh, and there is definitely value being created uh, when students go to class but the amount of value is is perhaps, one-tenth of the amount of time that's being put in. It's incredibly inefficient. It's, it's archaic. I mean, we basically teach the same way that we did 500 years ago. Um, and particularly for younger kids, it's completely inappropriate because we teach learning as a particular model where you learn what is already known and you prove that you know the things that are already known. And that is an, an important part of learning, and I'm not saying that people shouldn't do that, but it, it creates a mindset where which you're you're not focused on learning, you're po- focused on proving that you know what you're supposed to know. Uh, and, you know, we see this all the time at every level, but it gets worse as the students get older. Uh, so, in college, it's it's pervasive that they're focused on, a you know, it's a game. It's a, basically a game on how do I get the points that get me an A. And that's not true learning. Uh, and true learning involves actually expanding the body of knowledge that you have and that the world has. And to do that, you have to be willing to explore. You have to be willing to try things. You have to be willing to fail. Uh, we have a terrible relationship with failure. If you think about how you know, what failure means in schools, it's 100% bad. It is the worst thing that could possibly happen is that you fail. Uh, versus how if you have a productive relationship with failure, failure is how you learn, and this is—it's so obvious when you start looking at it. But if you look at the educational system, we've all basically been completely effed up by uh, learning to play a game, trying to get the the score rather than actually playing the game, and treating failure like it's something that needs to be avoided rather than something that's inevitable part of learning. And some of the most you, know, you learn more from failure than you do from success. Uh, that doesn't mean you want to fail, and you shouldn't try and avoid failure. But that's just the reality of it. And what we have, if if we if we extrapolate from where the current AI models are today, what we have is an opportunity to actually set people up with an education system that is much more personalized, that treats failure like We should, an opportunity to learn, a point to evaluate on where you need to to focus your effort going forward. Um, That's something that is never going to happen, in my opinion, in our existing school system, our existing structure of of public education. Uh, It would be very expensive. It would require extremely talented people to dedicate their lives to what is a relatively low status and low compensation career, but AI is going to be perfect for that is figuring out the patterns that work for Trent for Robert for Thomas and then applying them in a way that maximizes the learning in an environment where when you go down a dead end it's not a failure it's just discovery and that's how it is you know if you're if you're exploring an area that's off of the map you're going to run into some dead ends and you want to you don't celebrate that, but you also don't. Uh, what's the opposite of celebrate? You don't uh, uh, mourn it. Perhaps. You don't mourn it. Yeah, you just you just yeah. take that as part of the process. Uh, and for me, in the very long term, that's what I'm most excited about is these technologies. Think if we transform the U.S. banking industry and get rid of all these branches, that'll be great, and it'll save you know it'll create a trillion dollars worth of value. And that's, but if we were to transform the educational system so that the next generation of people growing up are are just naturally using their ingenuity. They're not haunted by failure. They're not afraid to try new things. Uh, That would change the trajectory of humankind in a way that's hard to wrap your brain around.
0: What what advice do you have for training that facility into people? So my daughter turns six on Friday. I think there's still time for her. Like how 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 would I go about doing something like that so she grows up with just sort of a natural bent towards experimentation, failure, iteration, and has a healthy relationship to all those things. Like like how do I uns- unscrew her schooling?
2: Uh, well, it's going to be ongoing if she's going to a traditional school. Uh, there's just there's nothing in the traditional school that is, is trying to accomplish this. So one thing is to look for a non traditional school um, now. That is, that's something that for your daughter is is a real possibility. Uh, whether it's by augmenting it, uh, what she's experienced at school. Because I'm not, an, I mean, homeschool. I'm not a, an advocate for homeschool, even though I think in a lot of cases it's probably the best schooling. It also ha- it misses out parts of life, depending on on you know what your neighborhood is like and what sort of activities your kids do. Because the thorny question whether kids should be going to school and, and hanging out with kids all day, even if they're not learning, uh, my answer is probably yes. But if we want your daughter to to turn eighteen with a healthy relationship with failure, then then and, and I'm going to give you some answers, Trent. But I'm not saying these are the answers because this is something I'm grappling with right now. I mean, this this is sort of the direction ingenuism is going right now because. Uh, from a policy perspective, it's it's really interesting because it says there are certain things that we should be doing, but mostly there are certain things that we shouldn't be doing. We shouldn't be uh, destroying connection. We shouldn't be limiting people's ingenuity. We shouldn't be setting up barriers to experimentation. But from a, a really making a difference with one person at a time. Uh, all of the same principles apply you just have to start thinking about what are the practices and this is where we are right now um, one is that you coming coming to grips with you know getting moving it, it from the background to to really making it explicit that failure is acceptable and the only thing that isn't acceptable if you're actually trying to accomplish something is not trying is is not experimenting. So elevating experimentation above success, and then experimentation by its very nature, you know, involves success and failure. And you know, your daughter. What's your daughter's name? Genevieve. Genevieve learning that by not just example, uh, you know, people trot out Thomas Edison, but it doesn't really internalize for people that learning it by her own experience. Uh, and then the second piece is coming to to grips with or creating a practice around how you deal with what you don't know that you don't know in the world because that's the essence of exploration is is you're going off the map and most of us don't even think about the fact that we're we're like we're in a box and there's a lot of stuff outside the box that we don't even we don't see. Uh, and that requires a an ongoing practice of you know what are the things you're going to try not just experimenting doing things different ways which is very important uh you know if you were talking about getting to the gym so you know in your life you're experimenting over time on what's the right way for trying to stay in shape you know what are the things that work for me and that's that's all very important that's how you're evolving what you what you're trying to accomplish but then there's a whole nother realm of what am i not even working on that i haven't even thought about that's the equivalent of of physical fitness. So, you know, it might be spirituality. It might be uh, a mental practice or a a spiritual practice that brings you, and I'm not talking about woo. I'm talking about uh, that maybe brings you into a state of flow or into the zone more often. And how would you actually have, have a set of practices that has you be more effective in your job or in, in your writing, or whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish, and we don't spend a lot of time exploring the the what do we don't know uh, that we haven't thought about yet, and so creating a practice for Genevieve around that, like what are you going to do this week that you're going to find something that you didn't even know existed and learn something about it, uh, and you know my experience with with six year olds, and I've had four of them now, is that they're they don't they don't have a lot of baggage, you know. They're not. They know they don't know a lot of stuff, and they're they're not uh, resistant to that. And you know, by the time they get to college, it's like, how does that help me get an internship? How does that help me get a good job? How does it help me get a girlfriend or a boyfriend? Like, how they they've got specific goals, and they know a lot about those goals and how they want to accomplish them, and the rest is outside of the blinders.
1: Yeah. Well, that's maybe that's you know. Yeah. Let me uh, test out an idea on you. Um, uh, I, I have it in my my head that in the not-too-distant future, we're going to be using either smart glasses or smart contacts to actually record everything that we're seeing and everything that we're hearing uh, all day long, and so we will have this personal cloud over here that's storing, that it's our digital twin of our brain that is recording all of our life experiences, and with a few sensors, we can get the tastes, the smells, the everything else as well, um, and then creating creating a good interface with that so that we can we can tap into that. Um, so my my sense has been that for the past uh, forever that the people I do best in business are the ones that have the best memories, and. Uh, and people that don't have great memories, but they might be really creative, just don't do that well. (laughs) Uh, So somebody that can actually not have to rely on their memory for uh, every little thing can then free up a lot of intellectual space for uh, entertaining other thoughts. Um, Is is that realistic to think in in that way, and is that a, a, a realistic possibility?
2: Uh, well, the short answer, which is almost always the right answer is I don't know. Uh, and and it's it's in the same ballpark of what you know we think is likely right over the horizon, uh, which is something that would take care of you you said remembering things for you. Uh, And, and, you know, in a sense, we already have those kind of tools. We have calendars. We have, uh, you know, it pops up 10 minutes before the podcast is supposed to start. We have a lot of those individualized tools. What we don't have is a way to fully offload. So now we have to keep track of the calendar and we have to keep track, you know, there's a a whole other set. And so I think the first step would be having a... A, basically, a virtual AI assistant that manages a lot of these things for you in the same way that you would. So it, it's you know it's not a, a complete copy of your brain, but it has all of your preferences and all of your habits and all of your priorities already embedded in it, and it's in communication with with everybody else's. So it it knows in advance if you're going to be five minutes late to this call. Because it can see how your day is evolving and it lets everybody know. Or it cars five minutes out of of the time between then and now so that you're on time. That that is really the first step in a in a projecting ahead sense. That that's which would apply the most the the biggest bang for the buck in terms of, of really helping augment people's limited mental. Uh, energy and have them focus on what is the most important to them. The idea that I've never thought about it and that is kind of cool, but I fear it—you know—it turns into you know Facebook and Instagram on steroids. Is the recording of everything and then going back to enjoy it again. You know, there are definitely days in my life that I would really like to be able to go back and live again. Uh, just, just because. They were amazing, or you know, maybe my memories are are not <laughs> quite perfect, and I would be like, "What?" It's like watching a cartoon that you watched as a kid and thinking, "I enjoyed this." What, what's happening? Uh, but that that could be, I mean, that could be incredibly valuable for people and enjoyable. Uh, but I don't know that it's going to forward progress.
0: Do you need a dynamic and knowledgeable speaker for an event? Thomas Fry and me, Trent Fowler, are both seasoned keynote speakers able to converse on a wide array of topics to audiences of all sizes and skill levels. Go to the contact page at futurati-podcast.com to book Thomas or myself today and let us apply our years of experience in public speaking to make your event a smashing success. Well, fantastic. Uh, I think we covered a lot of great ground here. I really appreciate it. And uh, b- before we sign off, where should we send people who want to learn more about ingenuism?
2: Uh, ingenuism. ingism, ingenuism. I should know how to spell this. I N G E N U I S M.
0: I think. Ingenuism. I think that's right. I'm looking at it. No, I've got it right here. I-N-G-E-N-U-I-S-M.
2: I've got my notes. Yeah. That's right. That's right. com. Uh, we put out a substack and a uh, a podcast uh where we kick around these ideas. You know, it's it's uh really It's sort of an ingenuism story to end on it. Uh, When I was in first grade, uh, I grew up in Indiana, and uh, my first grade class was part of an experiment over over two years, first to second grade, uh, where they taught us reading. There were some uh, professors at Purdue University who had come up with this idea that kids would learn to read better if you taught them phonetically. So, we, it was a program called ITA and we had books that nothing was spelled the way it's spelled in English unless that happened to be the phonetic spelling. So everything was spelled phonetically. So it made uh, learning to read very easy and my experience was it made learning to read very easy and I can read quickly and I'm an avid reader and I can't spell worth crap to this day. <laughs> and they they kicked they threw the program out after a few years because that was the result. It is you know, you you got one benefit and you got one cost. And you would never never predicted that, or maybe you would have predicted, but you wouldn't have never known that without trying it. Now you know, do I think that people should be taught to read using ITA? No. Uh, because I think you can use phonetics in a in a more subtle way that doesn't screw up their spelling forever. Although, you know, today with spell check I, I guess it doesn't really matter.
0: And soon enough, all the text will be generated by algorithms anyway. So Exactly, and it'll smell perfectly. And there won't be any reason for any of us to learn how to write. So thanks so much, uh, Robert. It's been a blast. Thanks, Trent. Thanks, Thomas. This has
1: been terrific. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.